everyone. Welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, here with my co-host, Bethany Ruff. Hello, hello. Welcome to the show. And today we have another awesome guest to introduce to you now. Wesley Ruff is the longest running sports anchor in all of Utah, with over 36 years in the sports department of ABC4. After starting his career in Bismarck, North Dakota, he moved back home to Utah with his young family in 1985 and took the job of reporter and weekend anchor in the sports department. In 2002, he took over the department as the director and weekday anchor. Wesley has been named the Utah Sports Caster of the Year as voted by his peers five times. He was named the Bill Howard Golf Citizen of the Year by the Utah section three times, an award which is now named after him, which I had forgot about until uh, just about 30 seconds ago. And he has also won several awards from the Society of Professional Journalists. As my father, he is somebody I will be grilling about chores I had to do growing up, but he's also the dude I respect and admire the most. Wes, you're off. That's it? I thought I, wrote, I thought I wrote a longer intro for you. <laughs> that was it. That's all I could dig up. Wow. It took the, a long time. Because the, the one I wrote had like eight pages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just had a lot of crap. We had to cut it. And Production then on us. that day. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to our show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This um, is awesome. Yeah, pretty cool. Um, good to do this in person. Yeah. It's something that you've done quite a bit of. You've helped me get this started, actually. It's, it's, uh, yeah, this is not my first rodeo. <laughs> um, yeah, this is cool because I, I got you a microphone. And, yeah, that's right. And... And some cords and cables and stuff, and, yep. and but you've just taken this thing to a whole new level. This is awesome. Well, you motivated me quite a bit when I started because I told you, dude, we just recorded our first podcast. I'm so excited. You're like, wow, that's great. I just did two. <laughs> I said, what? I didn't even know you were doing a podcast. He's like, yeah, I, I we already have two in the bag. So it's like, dad, you stole my thunder. But you've stolen the thunder back because I think we just had our 20th episode of WD Sporty. That's right. Just with, listen to it. With me and Dana Green on Sunday, and you're up to... However many you've- This will be late 60s or 70. And what took you so long to have me on? Um, What's up with that? Better, much better guess. You were available. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't that. Okay. <laughs> um, I've got a lot of fun things to talk about with you today. Um, awesome. I think this will be cool. It. So I, I want to talk a little bit about you growing up, um, yeah. what that was like, and when you started to fall in love with sports. I grew up in Springville, Utah. Um, my mom and dad are still in the same house that I was born and raised in. And Springville was a great place to live, to grow up. Um, and played a lot of basketball, baseball, played all the sports in, you know, little league baseball and, um, basketball, football, did it all water skied. Um, parents had a boat and we'd go to the lake all, uh, every weekend. And, and sometimes when dad would get off work, we'd go water skiing until the sun would go down. And then dad accidentally, he started playing golf and accidentally got a hole in one and thought he was good and <laughs> bought some new clubs and gave me his old one and bought a, a set for my brother. And we started golfing and that was that. Um, but yeah, Springville was a great place uh, to grow up. We, we golfed mostly at, you know, like Hobble Creek's my home course, hmm. but I, we played a lot at the old Spanish Fork golf course, the old one, not the one now. Uh, Cause that's the, gone. Yeah. It's yeah. just a little nine hole course that was west of the freeway. Um, love that place. It was fun. That's where I, that's where I learned how to play, but Hobble Creek is still my favorite. It's awesome. But yeah. And then, and then in high school, uh, concentrate, I, I lettered in basketball track and golf and, uh, basketball was my thing. That was, that's all I ever wanted to do was mm. play basketball. Mm. And, and when I graduated from high school, I was stunned, stunned that nobody came to recruit a five foot, eight inch guard who wasn't really that good. <laughs> Can't I, I'm like, where's all the college offers? <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, it, so basketball was my thing and, and golf was just something to do, but that's sort of changed. Yeah. 
I mean, I just told you, um, I listened to the latest episode of your podcast, WD Sporty, and hearing you talk about the All-Star Game in 78, yeah. was it? Oh, no, no, no. 68. 68. With, with Greer? Wow. Hal, yeah. Hal Greer? Yeah. 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 When mom mom wouldn't let me watch it because I hadn't done my homework on a Tuesday <laughs> night. <laughs> um, but you can just tell how much you love uh, the game, and you can still recite stats that yeah. I don't know where you get them from, but... <laughs> I Yeah. I, I had a good memory. I was, I was a good student. I graduated with honors from Springville High School, but I could have graduated with high honors if I'd have put any effort into it. One of the biggest regrets of my life is I just, it was, I could do nothing and get an A minus. And if I'd have studied a little bit, I could have got it straight mm, A's. Gotcha. And that was a big regret in my life that I didn't try harder, but um, I, I had a great memory and it served me well in my career now because I can remember stats and games and things that happened back in the day. Although it's so weird, like I can tell you every, who won every Masters, U.S. Open, British Open, PGA from like 1958 on. Any, give me a year, I'll tell you who won them. And then and NBA championships, but I can't tell you who was in the Super Bowl two, two or three years ago. Funny. Cannot. I, but I remember everything from the 60s and 70s. Huh. But I, can, I couldn't tell you who, what two or three, what two teams were in the NBA even a couple of years ago wow. in the finals. Huh. It's it's bizarre. Well, yeah, but you can tell you were way, way <laughs> I guess it. my brain's full now. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you think that you could make sports a career? Again, I thought I was going to play. So, um, and then I didn't play <laughs> and I wanted to do something to stay in the sports world. Um, when I was in college, I started out at Southern Utah State College, had an academic, a half academic scholarship and a, uh, and a partial golf scholarship from the Utah Golf Association. Not, not that the golf team said, hey, you're really good, come play for us. It was from the Utah Golf Association. So I went down there and then I ended up at BYU. It was easy to just live at home and, you know, drive to drive classes at BYU. And while I was there, I was majoring in international relations. Do you have time for this story? Yeah, of this course. Is, this is embarrassing. This is really how stupid I am. So I'm majoring in international relations. Because I wanted a job, I, I, I should, it should have been public relations, but I thought, no, I want a job that's going to send me to, like, to Japan so I, can, so I can be a PR guy in Japan. So I thought that was international relations. And then I end up studying Machiavellian theory. Weird. And I'm like, this is awful. This Weird. is not what I want to do at all. <laughs> and one night, so I'm what am I, like 21, 22 years old, and I'm um, upstairs at my house in Springville and watching Bill Marcroft on Channel 2 Sports. And it dawns on me that that was his job. Wow. Because I swear, I'm so stupid that I thought that those guys on television had real jobs during the day and would go in at night and do that for fun because I would have done it for fun. Wow. If somebody would have said, hey, yeah, you have a job, but then come in at night and read some school. I'm there. Wow. I'd have done it just for fun. And then I thought, wait, if that's his job, I wonder if you can major in it. And I looked in my college curriculum, really, I'm literally that right then and looked under sports casting and there was nothing. And I thought, I wonder what else would it be? And I looked under broadcasting and saw a broadcasting major. And I went down and changed my major the next day. Wow. The very next day. Wow. And if I, but if I'd have known anything about it, I wouldn't have done it. I would have been too afraid because, but I was just so stupid and so naive that I thought I can do this. I can do this. I can, I, I can do that. Hmm. And the whole time I was taking classes, they were, you know, were telling me like, you're, there's not enough jobs. What makes you think you're good? Go get a job at Jiffy Lube. They really told me. One of my professors said, go get a job at Jiffy Lou because you're not good enough. Do they still tell you that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> News directors have told me that. But I just kept thinking, I can do this. I can do this. Wow. I can do this. Wow. I remember reading a piece so funny and like how for us as humans, we'll sit on the couch and like debate what to watch on Netflix. Like it's <laughs> Blockbuster circa 1996 walking around the aisles. But then if 
the show that we pick shows New York City will decide to move or something. Like all the most <laughs> important decisions of our life seem to be just so quick and like, it's your, yeah, I'm doing this and that's that's it. And I, and I have to tell you that when I, my first broadcasting class, so I had to finish you know the, the, that semester before I could start taking broadcasting classes in the communication field. Very first class, very first day, they were telling me about um, how, about audio waves, sound waves, radio waves, that kind of stuff, you know, and that, how they peak and how, you know, the light wave, light travels faster than sound and blah, 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 blah. And they gave us an example. They said, if you were in Yankee stadium, if you were sitting in center field in Yankee stadium, watching a baseball game and your friend is in Los Angeles, watching the same game on television and a guy hits a home run, your friend in Los Angeles will hear the crack of the bat before you hear it in center field. And I just went, oh my goodness, what? what? Because the sound, the sound waves travel slower going from home plate out to center field than it does for the, for the signal to That's... go light waves up to the satellite, back down across the country to Los Angeles. And my mind was blown. And I'm like, I'm in. Mine is I'm in. now. That's crazy. I'm in. I'm hooked. <laughs> wow. Well, think about it. You know, if you're in a game, you see, you'll, yeah. you'll see yeah. it. And then like a half second later, you'll, you'll hear it. It's never occurred yeah. to me. Wow. That's so crazy. That was that, that. Right there, just like, I'm, I'm in. I'm totally in now. <laughs> <laughs> and you ended up being lucky that BYU had a broadcasting yes. program. Yeah, BYU has one of the top. They used to tell us it was the top three, four in the country at the time. I don't know where it stands now. But yeah, I was, so I was very fortunate that I ended up there mm. um, because we were doing the same things at, at KBYU that I'm doing now. I'm just making a little bit more money <laughs> than, I was, than I was then. Gotcha. Not much. Not much. <laughs> <laughs> so you finished there. Where do you go after college? So I, um, first of all, so I, I got married um, and my in-laws hated my guts, hated my guts because I, they found out I was, what I was going to do for a living, which was, meant I was going to be working nights and weekends. And I would probably be starting someplace outside of Utah, like, you know, taking Valerie to someplace, which ended up being Bismarck, North Dakota. Yep. They weren't happy at all. And then I graduated, sent out a bunch of resumes and tapes to stations, mostly in the West, trying to get a job and nothing, nothing, nothing. And my father-in-law at the time worked for uh, Utah, um, oh shoot, what's the, what was the company? To help you get jobs. Um, I, can't, I can't remember what it was, but he, so he got me jobs delivering cheese, you know, to keep me in <laughs> so I can make some money. Was it like a job recruiter kind of a thing? Yeah. Utah Job Services. Got it. Uh, and so I would like go on, you know, deliver cheese down to carbon, down to price and, and make some money just so I could keep his daughter <laughs> fed. And it, was just, it was really embarrassing. And I thought, holy crap, I've made a horrible, terrible, terrible mistake. And then three months later, I got a call from, uh, Bismarck KFYR in Bismarck, North Dakota. Wow. They offered me a job and I said, I'm there. First call first. Yeah. I mean, yeah. only were they the only, yeah. And right after I went there, we got there in November. So I started, I think November, December 1st. And right after I got there, it was just so cold. And then I, like a week later, I got a call from Medford, Oregon or somebody that was going to offer me a job. And I'm like, oh, crap. We gotta go but loved, loved everything. And Bismarck was great. Huh. What, and what did you cover? There's no sports in we, North Dakota. Yeah, we were, we were covering girls JV volleyball. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with that. But again, yeah, we had, there were no pro teams, obviously. In Bismarck, there was Bismarck Junior College. So they had a JUCO. And then there's St. Mary's, which was an NAIA school. And then the high school's... And wrestling was big up there. Hockey was big up there. Basketball. Um, so yeah, we, we just found stuff to cover. Nice. <laughs> and we, it's funny because we had more time in the sports cast in Bismarck than we do here in Salt Lake City. They'd give us like four or five minutes to do sports. Wow. And now it's like two and a half, three minutes. It's a lot of tap dancing. Yeah, it was. 
<laughs> it was. Wow. Um, what's one of your favorite stories from up there? Oh, man. The stories that I covered or just things that happened? It's not something that happened. I mean, that's where I came in. Yeah, that's, well, you're one of them. That you didn't immediately answer that is a you, little offensive. Yeah, but you, okay. you were hatched in Bismarck, North Dakota. <laughs> um, yeah, that was, I remember that, 1984. <laughs> I just remember the day. Cold, yeah. cold, cold, cold day in January when you were born. Um, yeah, we just... I got hit several times in football covering on the sideline. And back then, like I had to shoot everything and the cameras are not like they are now. The cameras are all one piece, you know, and you put a little chip in it and it's just one small little camera. Then it was, we had these old RCA TKs that were big, bulky. And then you had cables that ran into a deck that you carried on your other shoulder. And so it kind of balanced you out, but I double punched so many times. And by double punching, I mean, if you turn the camera on, and it doesn't quite go on, then the next time you hit it, you think you're turning it off, but you're turning it on and vice versa. So I would shoot football games on the sideline and I'd get back and the video would be, you'd see, see the camera, you'd see my feet walking, the camera would point towards the football just before they snapped it. I would focus in, zoom out, and then it would go off. And then the next thing you'd see me walking again, because I, I, I was shooting everything I didn't think I was shooting and not shooting what I thought I was shooting. And you like you get back to the station, and you're like, oh my goodness, I just missed an entire quarter. Wow, with a 65 yard touchdown. Pass. Like, you had some great highlights of you walking around. Yeah, <laughs> and one of one of my favorite stories. I was in North Dakota. We went out to some little town to cover a football game, and um, Valerie was with me, and um, I was loading this stuff in the car, and some little kids came over. And they said, hey, can we have your autograph? Because they saw and I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. So I signed it. Just little scraps of paper. They just picked off the ground, so I signed it. And I thought, I'm back there putting, loading the stuff in the back of the car thinking, dang, I'm cool. I <laughs> signed an autograph for a kid. This is, this is awesome. I've made the big time. And Valerie told me later that the kids went to the side of the car, and she heard them say, what did you get? I got his autograph. Who is it? I don't know, but I got his autograph. <laughs> they just saw the camera. That's and great. that was it. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> when you're just getting started in the business, what don't you know? Like, what are some of the lessons you need to learn kind of early on? Oh, man. I, again, I, I, I look at video when I first came to Salt Lake, and I thought, you know, so I had three years in North Dakota when I got hired in Salt Lake, and I thought I was good. And I look at video of, of me, like now I look at the video from then, and I think, A, how did I get a job? And two, how did I hold on to a job? Because I sucked. <laughs> you just need to learn how to present yourself and um, roll with the punches. You need to learn how to do interviews. Um, there's just so many things. I, again, I, I, so many things happen on the air that people don't know about, and they don't know about them partly because I've done this so long that I can cover up mistakes on the technical end mm. and, and, and gloss them over if, if the director punches the wrong video or, or the wrong um, – graphic comes up, whatever, that I know how to get out of that. Mm. So yeah, it's just repetition certainly helps. And finding, finding your voice, finding, you know, what works for you. Uh, I remember Klaus Wagner here in Salt Lake. Uh, He was, he worked with Mark Croft at Channel 2 and then he actually worked at Channel 4 and I replaced him when they fired Klaus. I I took his job, but he told me, he said, do, do sports like you and I are talking right now. That's how you should be doing a sportscast. It's like you saw a game and you're telling your friend about the game because you were there. You saw it, and now you're telling him what you saw. And, I, and he said, don't, you know, don't just like word for word, read this, blah, 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 da, 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 this happened. It's, it's just a conversation. It's just you and your buddy, and mm. that's served me well yeah, over the years. Yeah. So. If you have a style, I would say that yeah. is your style. It's very easygoing and light, and 
it, it, it's not too, not too serious. Yeah. I, and another thing, like I never thought I looked good on TV. I, uh, some people get into TV because they want to be on TV. I didn't, I got into TV because I wanted to do sports. Mm. I wanted to cover sports and I, th- I thought I was a good writer and I could have been a newspaper writer because I think I write well but I love the immediacy of sports. Mm. I like the of television sports. I like the fact that when a jazz game ends at 9.35, that we've got highlights on at 10.20, and we have reaction from the locker room. Mm. Love that. Instead of waiting till the next day when you'd read it in the newspaper. Sure. I just, I love the immediacy. But with that comes all the pressure of deadlines, and you've got to get this done, and oh my goodness, you've got to get this edited, and you've got to get, you know, everything ready for the director. Wow. So. Huh. Interesting. What's the most memorable game that you've covered? Uh, the Stockton shot down in Houston was pretty good when, in 1998 when, or 1997 when John Stockton hit the three-pointer at the buzzer to put them in the NBA Finals to win that series. Um, jazz, I mean, set the stage. Jazz have never gone to the Finals. Yeah, they never had, yep. And that was, that was cool. And I was in that building in Houston, and I watched that shot between a guy's legs on a monitor because we had gone from where we were – broadcasters were all up on the top row of the, of the building. And we had gone down because the game was getting ready to end. So we'd gone down to beat traffic um, down to courtside. So we could get to, and we're outside the locker room and there was a monitor just on the floor and some guy was standing there. And I was kind of looking like hit his legs spread. And I was looking between his legs at the little monitor on the floor. And that's when I saw the wow. shot, but I will tell you there was nothing as loud as the silence in that building when he hit that shot because the Houston people were like, what? 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 What just happened? Did we just lose? <laughs> they didn't expect, and nobody expected the Jazz to win. And wow. that, was, that was fun. Um, some other, the Jazz Lakers series, any, pick any game from 19, the 1988 Utah Jazz LA Lakers series when the, in the semifinals of the Western Conference when the Jazz first started getting good, when Stockton and Malone made their mark and, and Malone was on the cover of Sports Illustrated for the first time. And um, that whole series was just epic. Mm. Epic. Well, we need to talk about how you came to Utah and how you came back home, basically. Mm-hmm. But um, now that we're talking about it, we we just have to say like how special the Utah Jazz are to this state. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I can't remember who it was. I think it was Gordon Monson that, that wrote a piece um, several years ago where he searched obituaries in every <laughs> NBA market yeah. to find out how many people in LA were talking about the Lakers or the Clippers, how many people in Phoenix mentioned yeah. the Suns. That might've been Crackdorf that did that, but yeah, that was. Was, that, that was good. A great article. Oh, and it was, it was Utah yep. and it wasn't close. They were in the army. They did this and this and they loved their Utah jazz. jazz. Yep. Yep. And they mentioned that. Yeah. The thing about, you know, the, the state is divided, mostly blue and red. You've got BYU fans, you've got university of Utah fans and, you know, obviously Utah, um, Utah state, Weber state, Southern Utah, Dixie state, but but by and large, it's Utah BYU, right? Yep. But the one thing that unites everyone is the Utah Jazz. Jazz. And they were smart when the Jazz moved here in what was it, seventy nine, eighty, whenever they whenever they moved here, um, that they didn't make it Salt Lake. Salt Lake. They, they, they made it a territory. Agree. Utah. It was Utah's team, and and the whole state has embraced them. And yep. it's been yeah. It's it been can great. be Real Salt Lake. It can yep. be the Salt Lake Bees. But it, they are the Utah, Utah Jazz. Jazz. Yeah, for sure. That's so awesome. Um, so, so how was it that you made it back to Utah? Uh, I got a, I got a call. I, I was, I'd been sending out resumes from Bismarck cause I thought I'd been there long enough. And I needed another job, but usually, so Bismarck was like the 147th market at the time. Mm. And the only reason it was 147 is because it was combined with the Williston Dickinson and Minot markets combined. If you'd have broken them up the way they were supposed to be, Bismarck would have been the only one 
a smaller or bigger than a 200 market. So it's a pretty small market. So I, I, I thought I needed to go to like Idaho Falls next or Eugene, Oregon or Medford or Colorado Springs, some make a jump and start working my way up the ladder. But got a call from Salt Lake. Uh, and cause one of my friends, a guy I'd gone to college with was a stringer. I forgot about this story. He was a stringer for the station. He had his own camera. And so he would shoot stuff down in Utah County for our station, for ABC, for channel four, when they couldn't get a photographer down there. And he happened to be in the station the day they fired Klaus Wagner. And he told Steve Brown, who was the sports director said, Hey, I know a guy who's working Bismarck right now. He's three years. He's, you know, he's pretty good. So Steve called me and said, Hey, send a, send a resume and wow. send a tape. So I sent it and bugged him enough. And they flew me out, flew me and you out. I brought you so you could go see grandma. You were just like, that was so weird. And I, well, can I say this? Can I tell this story? Yeah, of course. Like right before we land, like 10 minutes before we land, when you're supposed to be in your seat, you decide to have an accident. Uh, we, we're, we're not going there. We're and not, I had to go in the bathroom and change you as we're trying to land. They're like, get in your seat. I'm like, I, I, I got to change this little kid. Uh, and that, I think you were 14 at the time. Yeah, I was say, that still happens. <laughs> not wow. so cute. Okay, that's been another episode. <laughs> so yeah, so I came out and, and I was only here one day and, and they interviewed me and, and I helped put the show together. I think Steve was gone that day when I was out here and... Um, I think the only reason they hired me, John Edwards was the news director that, at the time. I think the, I really believe the only reason they hired me was because they knew I was from here. So I knew, I played up the fact that I knew this history of the teams and the state and, and the coaches. And so they knew I was from here. They thought, they thought I might stay here, you know, a yeah. couple of years. Yeah. And they knew they could get me cheaply because I was making no money in Bismarck. Mm. And they got me for no money. And I stayed here a long, long time. <laughs> yeah, I was wow. making, I, they hired me in North Dakota for $1,050 a month. $1,050 wow. a month. That's crazy. Was what they hired me for. And the money never lasted. We got wow. paid once a month and it would never last. What, what would you do? We, they used to have coupons in the phone books and we would go to um, pay phones and rip the coupons out for McDonald's <laughs> and go two for one at McDonald's. <laughs> um, it just, yeah. We survived it. And that's, but that's the beauty of it. That's the fun. Yeah. I mean, I look back at those times and like, that was great. Yeah. Just, and, and I would recommend this to anybody. When you get married, leave, leave your city, go someplace. Mm. Cause we had to, we had to rely on each other. And, and it was great because we, you know, we couldn't just run to our family for help. Cause we're in freaking Bismarck, North Dakota. It's like not on the way to anywhere. Yeah, sure. It's like the only thing between Bismarck and the North Pole is a fence, and it blew down. So you know, there's just like nothing anywhere. Um, I love that joke. And um, but yeah, it was great for us, and uh, I, I would highly recommend it. Mm. So after you had me, we had um, another you know boy and a girl in the family, mm. but that was through adoption. So yep. what happened exactly there? Uh, after Val had you, she had some problem complications um, with the pregnancy, uh, with the delivery, and. Um, had some hemorrhage, hemorrhaged after a couple of times before they finally went in and did something. And, and that we found out later that the doctors basically just butchered her mm. and we couldn't have any more kids. And so we ended up um, adopting two kids. We ended up with uh, Landon who we got him when he was just 12 hours old. Yep. And we got Jenny when she was just about three, right? She was two, two years and 10 months old. I think when we got That's her, it was. Yeah, I thought months. it was one going into two, but I, I thought it was, right. I thought it was two, but I think, I think the I think now when I think back on it, it was two going to three, mm. and they were like thirteen months apart, and they were just good buddies, and yeah. 
that was kind of fun. Yeah. So. They were closer yeah. and still are yeah. very close. Yeah. Um, so what were some of the challenges of, of bringing, you know, adopted kids into the family? Honestly, Casey, I, so we had you for five and a half years. Yep. You were, you are only, you know, you were it, you were, that was our family. We just had three. And the whole time we were going through the adoption process, I just kept thinking, how could you love somebody else more than in my own flesh and blood? Sure. Cause you were our biological son and, and, and you'd been there for so long. I just thought, how is this going to work? But I kid you not, when we went to pick up Landon at the hospital and the nurse put him in my arms from the second that no, I held him, he was mine. No difference. He was mine. Yeah. Um, he's mixed race. He's part Japanese, part, um, Latino and didn't matter. Mm. Did not matter. Mm. Just, he would, he was ours from the second we had him. How did Casey handle that? I loved it. He loved it. He was, he was a great brother. He, he just, but he wanted, he wanted Landon to be like, like older, old, as old as he was and do stuff with it. Like right now, like right now, like, cause Casey was five and a half and six years old and running around doing things. And he wanted Landon to be that right now. <laughs> Needed somebody to play hockey for me. Yeah. <laughs> hockey with me. Um, so, so we're in kind of like the early nineties. You were involved in a pretty crazy NBA series that you were covering yeah. where sports collided with the world. Yeah. Yeah. The Los Angeles, Riots broke out in 92 at the same time the Jazz were playing the uh, LA Clippers in Los Angeles. So the Jazz had played games one and two in Salt Lake in a five-game series, won both games, went down to LA, played game three, lost to the Clippers at the sports arena. And then in the day between game three and game four was when the Rodney King verdicts were announced. We were at working out of KABC at the time doing some editing and the verdict started coming down, not guilty, not guilty for all these cops that had, you know, beat up Rodney King, not guilty, not guilty. And they just started, the KBC reports just kept moving us. Like we need this edit bay. You need to go someplace else that go someplace else and edit. So we'd move down. Somebody else would come and we need this edit base. And they, they literally moved us down like six different edit bays. And so it took us longer to edit than, than it should have. And, and we had to get to the, the Lakers were playing Portland at the same time at the forum on the off days. So that night there was a game at the forum between the Lakers and Portland. And we were going to go live there because that's where the satellite truck was. Portland was using it and LA's truck was there and we were going to use it for our live shot talking about the jazz Clippers. So they're telling us, look, there's no way you're going to. And so now it's really late and they're saying, there's no way you're going to make it down to that, down to the forum going on freeway. This it's like four o'clock LA. You're not going to make it. So take these surface streets and they told us how to get there. And, um, for those of you who remember, there was a truck driver who got pulled out of his truck and beat up during the riots in an intersection. Reginald Denny? Mm. It was Rodney King was the, yeah, Reginald Denny, I think, was the, was the truck driver. Got beat. I went through that intersection about 30 minutes before that happened. Wow. Didn't realize it at the time, but when I was watching the news that night, I went, oh my goodness, that's the same street that we went on. And then, you know, all hell broke loose for those next, you know, four or five days. And Is that how long it went on? Uh, yeah, they kept us there. The, the NBA kept stringing the jazz, you know, they canceled the game or postponed the game, but they wouldn't tell them when they were going to play the game because they didn't know how long this was going to go on. So every day they'd say, we'll make our decision tomorrow. We'll make our decision tomorrow. And the jazz, if they'd have known that they would have flown home, mm. but they just stayed we, and they were safe. We were in Marina del Rey. That's where the jazz would stay at the, at the Marriott and Marina del Rey. So it was fine there, but, but we had to go out and, and shoot all kinds of stuff. And just, it was crazy. When we went to jazz practice, they, they let us ride on the team bus because 
of the threat yeah. of what was going on, the riots. Cops escorted the bus to uh, Inglewood High School. It's all, it's all chained up. So our photographer, Kurt Smith, got out of the bus and was going to shoot the jazz players. And the players wouldn't get out until they opened the chains. And so they could run right in from the bus to the, to the gym. And while he was, they finally got him opened and they start walking off. And then right then a cop car went screaming up um, Manchester Boulevard. And Kurt got this great shot of, of the jazz players freezing, looking over their shoulders, uh, watching the cop go by. And then he just panned off and followed the cop car with this wow. eerie, you know, the siren going. And then they, we go in there and they, they chained up the, they chained up the gym while, while they practiced. They let us go in. We couldn't shoot anything during practice, mm. but they wouldn't, they said, you're, you're not safe out here. So come on in the gym and sit in wow. the bleachers and don't do anything until practice is over. That's wild. Yeah. And it, and it got worse. Yeah. I mean, some of those videos are just yeah. hard to watch. We got shot at, um, uh, the two nights later, wow. just before a live shot down in front of the uh, South central LA police department where we were going live because that's where the satellite truck was. And yeah, just on the, on the way down there, yeah, I was driving a, a, a Geo Metro, <laughs> Classic. A, a Chevy Geo Metro with a Hertz sticker. They used to put, they used to put stickers on them. Huh. So you knew it was a rental car and I'm driving through uh, the Crenshaw, just, you know, just blonde haired <laughs> idiot white kid driving down in the middle of the Crenshaw and, and it was bad. It was bad. I a car pulled up the side of me and, and then teed me and pulled right in front of me. And the driver looked at me and said, what the F are you doing here? Wow. And the only thing I could think of was I'm going to, they're going to drag me out and beat me up like they did Reginald Denny, but there's no helicopter. Cause there was a helicopter that was on TV. Yeah, they, right. they shot that, you know, that was on TV. There's no helicopter flying above right now to film this. And no one's going to know what happened to me. Cause I wasn't, my photographer wasn't even, I was by myself. No one's going to know. Val's not going to know. You're not going to know. No one's going to know what happened to me. Crazy. When did that sink in? Like that, that's like, I would think you'd be in shock. And then I like 30 minutes later in your hotel, just like most yeah, later that night. But, but yeah, no, I was in total shock. And every, well, I tell that story and people go, what happened? What happened? I'm like, I, I cannot remember. I don't remember. I don't remember that day. What happened? I remember getting to police headquarters, but I don't remember what happened from there to the police headquarters. And the weird part about getting to police headquarters is I pull up there like a block away. They've got to barricade it off. And some cop stops me and he said, where are you going? I said, I need to get to those satellite trucks for a live shot. He goes, you have any credentials? Like, I open my wallet and I pull out my Utah High School Activities Association press pass that barely gets me into football games here, wow. high school games here. I show it to him. And he goes, okay, go ahead. <laughs> like, what? All right. What? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Wow, and then a, and then while we were there, some guy took two two shots at us right when I mean the CBS, WGN, um, CNN, all of us were standing there doing live shots. We were you know that's we were there just because that's where the satellite truck was and where we had to go. Hmm. We'd done the satellite we'd done a satellite hit on the early show from the roof of uh, KCOP, our sister station in Los Angeles. And as soon as we got done with the live shot, they evacuated it because the fires were coming close to the station. So they kicked everybody and we had to go someplace else. So we ended up down there for for the 10 o'clock live shot. (laughs) Crazy experience. It was. And now this is a time when sports casting and sports casters were a little bit different than now. I mean, you guys were buddy buddies. You would travel together. You would stay together. What was one of your favorite like traveling stories. Oh man, I have so many. And they all involve Bowler Jack. <laughs> Craig Bowler Jack. Yeah, the uh the so when they finally played game five, game 4 of that series, it was they moved the game to Anaheim. 
And so we rode down, Kurt Smith and I rode down with Jack Bozarth and Craig Bowler, Jack Bowler's photographer. So we rode down together from Marina Del Rey down to Anaheim and uh, security's at DEFCON 12, as you might expect. And we have to go through these two back parking lots and there's checkpoints and we get to this last checkpoint and there's just two gorgeous California blonde girls who are handing out the credentials. And Bowler Jack and I have our credentials on a lanyard hanging on our, around our neck because we had been to game three, but our photographers, had, they went to fly him in for game four. So they didn't have credentials. So we had to stop there, get our credentials. So they thumbed through the list. Okay, Kurt Smith, Channel 4, here's your, here's your pass. Jack Bozoff, Channel 5, here's your pass. And then one of the girls looks at Bowler Jack, looks at his pass on his chest and says, oh, you're good. And then she looks up at his face and says, ooh, I mean that sincerely. Because, <laughs> you know, Bowler's a pretty good looking guy, right? She goes, ooh, I mean that sincerely. And this is how stupid I am because I say, what about me? And she said, you're blocking my view. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love that story because I've never had to embellish that. You know, some stories get better and better. But they, that is word for word exactly what happened. <laughs> That's great. It's just how stupid I am. Hey, what about me? <laughs> That's great. You're just blocking my view. Just, just move. Hilarious. <laughs> so you got to hang out with a lot of those sportscasters, but yeah. you also, you actually helped somebody start their pod, or I'm sorry, uh, sportscasting career. I did. This is one of my favorite stories. Yeah. We can't tell the story of you without telling the story of our good friend, Marius Payton. Yep. Marius Payton, who was uh, he was our he was our waiter at Red Robin. Yep. Because we used to live just on the other side of 215 Red Robin uh, on on what's it 6400 south over yeah, by right in there. by fashion yep the fashion, fashion place, place mall. mall so and then there was a walkway over 215 so we walked you know took, took the family walked over and had dinner at, at red robin and mar was our waiter and the guy just reeked of personality right i mean he was just like and the whole time i'm thinking i, I didn't think he knew who i was but i'm thinking this guy would be great on tv because he just has a you know he just has charisma out of the wazoo and so we get done, he hands me the check, and you know, I'm just, I stand up to get ready to pay it. And he goes, hey, um, how do you get into sports casting? So he obviously recognized me, and I said, dude, here's my card. And I gave you my business card. I go, here's my card. Call me. Wow. Call me. And Marius came down. Um, we taught him how to do some He ended up being an intern, ended up being a paid intern, ended up being the producer, ended up being reporter, and then the weekend anchor. When I took over and then he took the, he took a job from there to Baltimore, he went to Baltimore and then came back to Denver and opened up the mountain network. When it opened up, he was the first, I forgot about that. Yeah. So he opened up that. It was there like eight years or something. And then went to Houston and was covering the Astros and the Rockets and, and then went to Nash, went to Memphis and then Raleigh, North Carolina. And now he's in Nashville doing wow. news. He's doing yeah. news now. Got so out of awesome. sports, but yeah. Mark, so awesome. Yeah. I, I mean, I'd like to take credit for it, but, but <laughs> Mark, but Mark, Mar did that on his own. He's, He's just, great. Yeah. And he, so he was great from the very first second the camera was on. Him. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't the camera turn on the very first time and it's like very first reporting gig. And he just like stared at the camera and just <laughs> laughed. He did. he did have one of those deer in the headlight moments. I think of Boise during the uh, NCAA tournament. And yeah, the camera came on and he just froze, <laughs> just forgot everything he was, was going to say. And was like, uh, uh, bye. Uh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I never had one of those moments, fortunately, yet, knock on wood. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, that's great. Um, so let's see. Tell me, tell me why you decided to not stick with just sports casting. You kind of branched out and you leveraged 
sports casting to do other things like beat the pro is something I think of like that's, that's not something you had to do. You had to start. I think you got some compensation, but it couldn't have been much. And it was for charity. You actually got more money than for helping me do it. than I ever got. <laughs> um, yeah. Beat the pro was a thing. As, uh, a, a, I'd like to take credit for that one, but that wasn't, that was a sportscaster in Chicago that started that idea, had the idea, had it on his station and then he syndicated it. He quit his job and then syndicated it around the country and we bought the package. And, um, so we did beat the pro. I just think we did it better than anybody else in the country. Hmm. And so beat the pro was great. You get celebrities to you'd take them out to a par three hole on some random day and have them hit a tee shot, interview them, ask them how long they've been playing golf, what they like about golf, whatever, hit, hit a tee shot, go down and measure it and do a quick interview at the end. And then on a given Saturday, people would come to that course and try to beat that celebrity shot. And anybody who beat the pro would get a prize. Mm -hmm. And anybody who signed up to donate money to charity, which was the Muscular Dystrophy Association, would get some gifts anyway, some tea, you know, some prizes. But if you beat the pro, you got prizes like a t-shirt or a hat or a shoe bag, umbrella, whatever it was that particular year. And whoever was closest to the hole that day got to go to the championship final at the end of the year. And it was just, yeah, we did that for nine. 19 years? Yeah, a long time. Yeah. I've got very fond memories of that. So I started helping you and yep. I was like taking yep. money. And yeah, we had you at the table taking money. And yep, did that. And then I'm, let's see, when I turned 16, I got to drive the hole in one car. <laughs> Ask me how much I love that. Yeah. Let me take my <laughs> piece of crap Chevy Cavalier, drop it off at a car dealership. Be careful. That up. was my car first. So yeah. be careful. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't treat it very well. Um, and pick up a convertible. And I'm going to cruise around <laughs> all Friday and all Saturday. And you would be like, look, dude, like I wouldn't be driving this around more than you need to. And I'd be like, yeah, sure. Dad. Peace. <laughs> Where's Casey? What happened? <laughs> He's like, gone be back for 24 hours again. Should he be back by now? <laughs> and that car was for, if somebody hit a hole in one, yeah. which never happened. And then it happened. one day yeah. it happened. Yeah. L tell me about the hole in one. <laughs> yeah. Chrysler Sebring convertible that year for the last like 10 years or something. It was Larry H. Miller donated cars. Mm for it. But, but that year it was a uh, Chrysler Sebring convertible from, I can't remember who, what dealership donated the car, but yeah, we're at Glen Eagle golf course and hole number two, I believe. And, and the beauty part of this was I had told you to, I said, I, I have a feeling this year we're going to get a hole in one. So get some confetti ready. And I swear, I thought that you would just like take our little hole puncher and get some confetti, just like, you know, punch a bunch of holes and, and have a bag of confetti. So for the listener, I'm just going to step in and say, I don't recall this at all. I remember the confetti, but I don't remember being responsible for no, the confetti. No, I, yeah, I asked you to. And, and what you ended up doing was taking the garbage from our paper shredder confetti. And, and dumping it into a plastic bag that we carry with us. And I didn't pay attention to it, but we always had it with us just in case. So hole number two, guy steps up, left-hander, didn't even have golf shoes, gym shoes, just, you know, just a hacker just a weekend player. And he accidentally knocked it in the hole and we're stunned. We're just like, look at it for a second. You can hear the audio on the camera. Like, did, did that go in? Did it? And then we just go nuts and we're celebrating. And they're like, Oh wait, we have some confetti. And so I run over, grab the bag of confetti, take it out. And it just comes out in this one great big lump of, of shredded stuff from our paper shredder. I throw it at him and it hits him in the chest and falls <laughs> to the ground. And that's, and, and he's like, what was that for? And I'm like, I'm looking at Casey like, that's really, that's, what, that's the confetti. And, and then the whole rest of the day, we're picking up pieces of our credit cards that it, we tried to shred. There were pieces of our credit cards on the tee box and we're picking them up. 
Bethany had to leave the interview. She's dying laughing. Yeah, that was funny. Who do you who do you believe in this story? Just the look. Oh, like I'm lying. I mean, yes. In order for the story to happen, I believe your dad. <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly what happened. The, the confetti part, yes, but I don't recall being responsible for. It. I didn't do it. You did. And it just hit him in the chest, and the look on his face. He's like, what was, what was that for? Not necessary. <laughs> oh, jeez. I have a picture for you. Speaking of muscular dystrophy. Uh. Uh, look, it's me and you. Yeah, at the at the uh, telethon. Yeah, yep, you so what was that like? Telethon. Was you fun. hosted the telethon yeah. for years and years. Yeah, Steve Brown had done it for a long, long time, and then when he left, they asked me to start hosting it. Uh, it used to be, used to be, would start Sunday night, like right after the ten o'clock news, and we'd go all night, all through the night, into the next day until the early show at like six o'clock the next day, and it was brutal. And then they cut it down to just like early in the morning on Labor Day until six o'clock, but it was still, that's a long time to be on TV and, and to tap dance and to kill a lot of time. But I great memories of that and got to know a lot of great families through the Muscular Dystrophy Association and made a lot of good friends from the telethon. People would come on and, and donate things. Mike Horsley um, comes to mind. I forgot about that. Yeah, Horsley was um, in charge of the, the Sandy All-Star Lanes and came on, donated some bowling stuff and we ended up being great friends. And huh. yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Huh. Um, I, w- I need to, I need to say something though about, about beat the pro beat the pro was kind of a love hate relationship with me, um, because it took so much time and it was hard work and it was hard. Like I'd be on Saturday, I'd have to get up at, you know, seven in the morning, which, you know, as a broadcaster, you, you don't do that very right. often. Get up at seven, seven thirty in the morning, drive someplace to some course, Valley View, Spanish Oaks, Hobble Creek, wherever, and be there for four hours in the hot sun. Cause we did it from June to the first week of August just sweating our guts off and, and then I'd have to go back and put that story together and then, and also do the Saturday sports cast and then we'd air that on Sunday night. So it was just, it was a lot of time. And then the other thing was that it, we, when we'd shoot the celebrity shots, most of those happened on my days off. Mm. Most of those. Ha- so I, I, I was gone a lot to shoot the celebrity shots. Um, you know, we'd, we'd get Steve Young would, would be in town or Mitt Romney or, um, you know, throw Bailey, whoever was our celebrity at the time. We had Dan Patrick from ESPN. I forgot about that one. Um, and we could, we, we would shoot their shot whenever we could. So it was a hassle to get the course to see if they didn't have any tournaments that day. And if we could go interrupt play, cause we'd go out to the seventh hole or the third hole or whatever. And sort of, and just you know, to clarify, when you say they need to go hit a shot, you're saying singular. Yeah. But it took longer than one shot. Yeah. And remind, just, I want to tell you another story about okay. Bowler Jack in just a second, but so a lot of that happened on my day off. And it, again, it, it, it wasn't one shot. It was a lot of shots and it was a lot of travel time. So I'm, I'd be gone for hours. And another one of the regrets of my life was, I remember Valerie one day said, you know, you need to quit doing that. You, you're gone too much. And I said, well, this is my job. This is part of my, this is what I do. I, I need to do this. And in reality, anybody could have done it. They didn't need me to do it. Anybody could have done it, but it was kind of my baby. And I, so I took responsibility for it. But so there was a lot of times that I was gone on my days off that I could have spent with you and the family. And, um, and she said, you know, you should be here. And I said, no, I'm going to do it. And, and when she passed away, when she got sick and passed away, I just, I would give anything. I would give anything to have any one of those days back mm. and not do that. Interesting. Because in the whole scheme of things, what did that matter? Well, I, you did an incredible job with it. I, I understand that now, but I disagree with you when you say anybody could have done that. I, I don't think that's true. Uh, I really don't uh, think that's true. I think your knowledge of golf, the, the way you cared, the way you 
showed that caring in the, you know, in, in the package you'd show and like the final and, and working with, you know, muscular dystrophy. I think, I, I don't think many people could have done well, that. Well, that's kind of you to say, but probably anybody could have. I do mean that. Tell us about, um, bowler. Yeah. So this is, you, I took you to this one. We went out to Saratoga Springs or to, uh, what's the Talents Cove. I hate Talents Cove. I like it. No. <laughs> so I took you cause you just, you just got back and, and we met bowler out there and we went to, I think this fourth hole, sixth hole, par three, going towards the lake and bowler hit 20 shots. Took him 20 shots to get one on the green. 10 of them were just duck hooks, just snap duck hooks, just boom, like straight left into the rough. Nine of them were big banana slices that never found the golf ball, just way off to the right. And one shot made it on the green and, and it was a good shot. And we drive up there and we get up there and it's seriously like a foot away. It is literally a foot away. And I'm like, Bowler, we we should probably kick this back a little bit and say it was like six or eight yeah, feet. No so nobody's going to beat yeah, that. nobody's going to beat it. So we should keep. It. She's like, no, no, keep it there. This is great. This is great. I, if I remember, it was one feet seven inches away. That's how close he hit it. So that the Saturday when people come through, they're like, hey, what? what who's the pro? It's Craig Bowler, Jack. What? Where did he hit it? One feet seven inches. Wow, Bowler must be great. He must uh. be a great golfer. <laughs> and I'm like, well. Yeah, kind of, but yeah, there, there were like 10 shots over here and nine. Are, you'll, in fact, you'll probably find the golf balls when you're up there. Uh, I love Bowler. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, Bowl, yeah. Bowler and I started in Salt Lake the same time. I think he started two months before I did. And I kid him all the time because I held on to a job. <laughs> Bowler's had several jobs. He's got CBS. That's right. He was doing network stuff football. for CBS football um, for the Tennessee Titans, I think it was. And, and, on Sundays, and he was doing college football games and CBS college basketball games during the tournament. And now he's doing the Utah Jazz. I've held on to my job. <laughs> <laughs> he just has that voice for it, yeah, too. It's so just good. so good on play by yeah, play. Every it's time a totally we, different thing. Bowler's great. We've had him on our show, Real Sports Live. And every time he comes on, I'm like, oh, ooh, that voice, Bowler. Just, oh, it just grates me. It just, it's so awful. It's just so high pitched and so awful. But it's so, in reality, it's so good. He's got a great voice. <laughs> wow. Just a great guy. Wow. Um, earlier this year, uh, or last year, it was the ESPN documentary came out, um, about the bulls yeah. and Michael Jordan, which last was dance. last dance, yep. amazing. So well done. And every episode, Bethany got so sick of me on the intro. When they show MJ's <laughs> last shot, I stand up and scream and slam my foot down and yell. He pushed off. He pushed off. Still bitter about it. He did not push off. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. What was it like? In those years of the Jazz, I know we've talked about this already, but it's in in particular the '98 Finals. '97 meant more to me because it was the first time. First time, yeah, so and no it, expectations. So everything was new, and and look, I never had a day off from the day the season ended on like April 16th. I didn't have a day off until Father's Day. Did not have a single day off. I was on the road with the Jazz, and even when they were home and it was off days, I was still working. Had to do. We were doing under the bleachers with Adam Keefe. He was our jazz analyst yep. player at the time. And, and so I had to go, I was with Adam every single night. So I worked every day from April 15th to June, what was it? 17th, 18th that year Crazy. without, without a day off. Um, and the series started against the Clippers. Then we played the Lakers. Then we played Houston. And then we played, we like, like I had anything to do with it. <laughs> um, the jazz played the Clippers, Lakers, Rockets, and then the Bulls. And every series, it just got, harder and harder and harder. And the news department wanted more and more and more because it was just, this thing was, I mean, captivated the whole state. Right. Yeah. It, and they just wanted more content, more content. And we've already interviewed these guys like a billion times and it was just, it was crazy. And then, and 
you know, back then we used to sit courtside. We were on like the second or third row on at the middle in the middle of the court, you know, half the court line. And then and then the longer we got, they kept pushing us the, the local media further and further away. And like, or even I, in the arena anymore. If, they, if it had gone one more round, we'd have been outside someplace. <laughs> um, and then they figured out that they could sell those seats for like, you know, $1,500. And yeah, so they said, right. oh, why don't you media guys go sit upstairs? <laughs> we'll make some money by selling your seats. Uh, but yeah, it was crazy. It was just the whole state was into it. People who didn't care about basketball, care yep. about sports, cared about that. Yep. Because, because people in Utah, right or wrong, looked especially then they, their whole self-worth was based on what other people were saying about us. And so there's like, what are the, what is the network saying about what is, what are the national media saying about Utah? What are they, you know, how are we perceived? How are we look, how are we, and they based their whole self-worth on it, mm. which was odd, but yeah, it, it was what it was. And, and again, it, we just, we had so much jazz content. Mm. It was Hard. Wow. It was wow. really hard. <laughs> well, I knew you were busy with that because that was the time in my life that I was old enough to do the friendship cruise. Mm. Which ah, is friendship the, cruise. Yeah, the boat ride that I just love. You mentioned the boat already. Um, you basically leave from Green River, go down the Green River to the confluence of the Colorado, and then you go up to Moab over the course of three days and get to check out a whole bunch of really cool things. I remember the first... I think it was the first two years. I think it must've been 97 and 98 were the years that I was old enough to go and you could make it because yeah, I was on you're the covering road. the jazz, yeah. like probably Western conference final uh-huh. or something. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We, uh, yeah, it was over Memorial day. Um, and the jazz for a long time didn't play that late. Yeah. Like I remember the first time they played in June was game seven of Seattle series in 96. That's the first time they played into June. So they played June 1st. And then the next two years were the f- finals against the Bulls. So we're into June, but we, you know, mostly the season was over in mid May usually for the yeah. jazz. And so I could go on the friendship cruise. Um, yeah. So you'd park, you'd take your boat, launch it at green river, and then some scout troops who, to make money would drive your car and your trailer from green river to Moab. And so it would be there waiting for you when you came, you know, three days later when you, went down the green and up the Colorado. So 117 miles down the green and 67 miles up the Colorado. Yeah. Great. So trip. Love that. Love that. So fun. One of my favorite memories is let's see, it would have been 2006. The last time that we ever got, no, 2005 mm-hmm. was the last time we ever got to go. Grandpa was getting a little older. Yeah. It was a little harder. Um, but we got to do it all five of us, including yeah. Landon, and my little brother, yeah. 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 uncle yeah. and grandpa. Yep. So great. Brother Slim, yep. David and my mom, my dad and you and Case or yep. Landon and me. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. Good stuff. Way fun. One of my favorite pictures is me and you sitting in front of a Moki hut on the on the on the Colorado side, I think. Oh yeah. I think had, I have that picture. You have some sleeveless shirt on and looking all studly. And that's, <laughs> that's right. That's what the listener needs to know. <laughs> Um, so that was kind of the time, you know, the late nineties while you were covering the finals, that was about the time that mom got sick. Is that yeah, right? Yeah. 90, I want to say 98, right before Christmas, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. It was 98. Oh, gotcha. I thought did it was, I, did I say 90, early. did I say 98, 96, it's 98. It was 98. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, yeah. What was that time like? Uh, it's crazy. It was just like, you, I remember the day it happened because like I, I found the lump on her. It was up high. And I said, what's that? And she goes, I don't know, maybe it's a muscle. And I said, that doesn't feel like a muscle. And then um, that was a Friday. And then Monday I was shooting um, um, a preview special for the upcoming Utah Winter Games. So we were up in Park City. I don't think we had cell phones back then. I don't think we did. I don't think the station had cell phones. So I was up there all, all day. And apparently Val had called the doctor and said, hey, I need to come in and, and check, you know, get a mammogram or something. They go, okay, yeah, we're booked until like July. She oh, goes, oh, okay, well, I just found a lump. So, and they go, oh, get in today. 
So uh, this is unbeknownst to me. So she was already in. And by the time I got down at the mountain and got to the station, they were already talking cancer. So it was just like, I, I, like I didn't know that she'd even gone, was going to the doctor. And the first call I get is like, they're talking cancer. So it was just like, just turned our world upside down and sitting in there with the doctor. It was like some out of body experience. Like I, I felt like I was floating, looking at me and Valerie talking to doctor and like this, this isn't us. This, who is this? This is, you know, yeah. this doesn't happen to us. I mean, you were my age at the time, right? Um, 30s? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm 40. Yeah. What, what, what was I? 30? Yeah, I'd have been 40. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Um, what were some of the positives that came out of that? Um, was there any? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it helped us grow together. And I learned how to be a, a caregiver. Mm which was not, I don't think is in my nature. Uh, and it was hard, but, um, I, I think that, I think I learned how to do it. Um, Val learned how to let people help her. Yeah. That was huge. We talked about that all the time. Yeah. Cause she was really into helping people and not having people help her. And, and I remember telling her once you need to let people do this, yeah. not just for you. You need to let them do it for them because that's the only way they can feel like they're yeah. helping or, and she too, she was somebody who didn't just have the diagnosis. She, she wasn't wanting to do this, but she made some appearances and she yep. helped with the race for the cure for all the those cure. years. Yep. Spoke um, to, turned out to be a great speaker. She did a great job speaking at those things. TV. And, um, yeah, it was, she was amazing at it. Mm. What was it like? What was it like when I was gone? So I was living in Brazil mm. and I remember I was in my first area, first city I was living in called São Bento do Sul. And they called me, which was very unusual. And they said, Hey, you grab your stuff. Mm. You're, you're coming to the main Island. You need to mm. be here. Okay. This is weird, but I'm just new here and I don't really know what's going on. And then, you know, they pulled me in the office and told me that, that mom had gotten really sick and they'd given her just like a few months mm. to live. And, um, I, so I didn't get to experience a lot of that. What was that like? It was, yeah, it was hard. It was hard with you gone. Um, fortunately you made it back and was here for almost a year before she passed away. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, it was just not knowing. And, and then what, and then our, our idea of what was good news. Like if the, if the, if what they told, we go to the doctor and if the, if the news wasn't horrible, then it was good news. Mm. Like, okay, we had to change your medicine. You got to do this. You got to have more radiation. Oh, good. Well, that's, that's better than we thought it was going to wow. be. And then like your whole concept of what's good, like radically changed. Um, it was, and, it was bad for you to be gone. Cause you and you and mom had a great relationship. Like you guys would go to the zoo. I yeah, remember, remember that. And I remember writing you once and saying, be prepared when you come home because you're not going to be able to do that. Mm. You're not going to, you know, she's not going to be able to walk yeah. um, and do the kind of things that you remember doing and probably expected to do. And that was, that was hard. Yeah. And the other, I want to, I want to say this too about, about sports and the coverage, coverage of sports. People, people would tell me all the time, you're so lucky you get to go to jazz games. And I was, I, and I'll be the first to admit it, but, but I also realized at some point that I didn't get to go to jazz games. I had to go to jazz games and the games I wanted to see were your games, mm. your hockey games and the football games that you and Landon were playing. Yeah. Those are the games I wanted to go to. And I couldn't because I was, had to, I had to go to the jazz games and Carl and John, they didn't give a shit if I was there or not. Right. right? They didn't care if I was there, but you cared. Mm. Yeah, it made a difference. I, I remember looking up several hockey games and it could have been between shows and you probably had a deadline, but you you were there. I, I remember specifically one season 
that I played indoor soccer. I never played mm-hmm. outdoor soccer and I certainly never yeah. played indoor soccer. <laughs> and I remember, I remember it was a makeup game. <laughs> I've talked about this before at the time as a kid, I didn't want to go to the makeup game. Who wants to go to a game where you have to wear makeup? I don't want to wear makeup. <laughs> Nobody explained that to me. No, it's just like one game was, you know, there was a snow day or something. So we're making that game up. Like, I don't want to be wearing makeup. <laughs> um, and I remember it was like an obscure Saturday or Sunday at some some place. And I, I remember not expecting you because it was a Saturday and you work Saturday, but you showed up and I scored like two goals and thought it was like the coolest thing. No, but I, I really appreciate that you made that effort. I I look back and think I probably could have made more. I tried to, I tried to get there as much as I could. And I probably could have made, I look back and think, ah, I wasn't a very good dad. I should have gotten more games and missed, you know, some jazz games and stuff. But, um, but yeah, those are the games I wanted to see. Mm. Not, you know, jazz. I, I, again, I have absolutely no regrets of the career I chose and what I've done. Cause I've done some amazing things and got to see some amazing places and meet some amazing people. And it's all because of my job, mm. but but there's trade-offs and I missed a lot of your growing up. And well, you made, you did make an effort to be there. Um, what, so, so yeah, you have had a lot of amazing experiences. So I've got two questions for you. The first is what's the best story you've ever done? Oh, wow. And the second question, <laughs> oh, um, I'll ask you after. Wow. That's put me on the spot. One of the ones I remember doing that I end up, using in talks for a long, long time was a long time ago. Um, there was a kid named Jeffrey ball who played for North summit high school and was all state and, um, graduated, went on a mission and he was killed on his mission. Uh, some assassins killed him down South America someplace. Mm. And the next year, um, the team asked his dad to be a special assistant coach with him. He wasn't, you know, it wasn't a coach coach, but they said, you know, be on the staff and they dedicated the season to him and they went out and lost the first game. <laughs> and then they ran the table and they got to the state championship game against para one. And the game was being played down at Ephraim. And we went down there to cover it. Cause it was a cool story. So this is like, you know, like 10 and one going for their 11th win in the state championship game. Para one jumps out to a big lead. And I remember sitting in the press box just before halftime. And I looked down and I saw Jeffrey Ball's dad walk from the sideline into the locker room with, you know, like two, two minutes to go. And I'm like, well, that seems early to be going to the locker room. And we had permission to go into the locker room to shoot um, because we were doing the story. So halftime rolls around, we go to the locker room and we get down there. And in the locker room, there's a, there's a banner that a hand painted banner that's, that was Jeffrey Ball's favorite saying. And it said, I never said it would be easy. I only said it would be worth it. And the players walked in there and there was not a dry eye in that locker room. And they went out in the second half and just kicked the crap out of Parowan and won the state championship game. And, and the high school kids, you know, and they win a state championship. It's, you know, every four of you running around screaming, hugging cheerleaders. And these guys were much more subdued and I remember doing the interviews after and all of them were like, we knew who this was for. Mm. We knew what this was about. This wasn't for us. This was for, this was for Jeffrey Ball and this was for his dad. Mm. And that was, that was, that's super cool. Yeah. I, and I've, I've used that line so many times in, in talks that I've given. Mm. I never said it would be easy. I only said it would be worth it. I love that. And, and for me, my whole broadcasting career has been that. Mm. It's, it hasn't been easy. I'm, you know, living in North Dakota. <laughs> Our last Christmas Eve was 84 below zero. 
You don't remember that because you were 84 below zero with oh, the windshield God. factory. Yeah, I don't want to we remember We went that. 60 straight days without the temperature getting above zero. Not freezing, zero. It did not get Fahrenheit. above zero for 60 straight days. Like why the hell we even had a weather guy is a mystery to me. Cold, <laughs> like, snow, what, wind. What's the for? Hey, it was cold yesterday. It's cold today. It's going to be really cold tomorrow. <laughs> like, what was the point of that? It's going to warm up to negative 50. Yeah. <laughs> We're having a heat wave, a tropical heat wave. But- but it so yeah it was it was wasn't easy but it has been worth it yeah that's I, awesome I've enjoyed every single minute I have the best job in the world that's awesome I've heard I, you say that I if, if if it was just the job I have the best job in the world I mean politics and TV is changing and you know like I don't think TV the way it is or the way it was five years ago is probably won't even be around in five more years sure so I, I'm probably going to hopefully retire at a decent time but <laughs> but just the job itself mm. to do 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 the, do the stories. You know, it's, it's mostly I just sit behind a desk and read, you know, intro Dana stories now, but the job, the best job was when I was the number two guy and got to go out and report for three days and then anchor on the weekends. Mm. I love that because meeting the people and doing the stories, that's the fun. Interesting. That's the fun. Well, you've, I mean, that's kind of your thing, right? Like you've been able to find some of these stories that they are sports, but there's a story behind it that's super interesting. And now you've lived through a time when sports were gone. Yeah. And there may have been a time where you would have asked me, like, what's the importance of a Utah football game? And I would say, like, <laughs> that Utah wins and beats BYU, and that's all I care about, and it's sports. What? How do you feel and think about sports now that you've gone through a period of time when they were gone? Yeah, it needed it. I mean, I, I was torn because I, I didn't think that – I thought some of the sports came back too soon – and I thought they were making mistakes by, by getting players together and, and letting fans in because of the pandemic. And I, I just thought we needed to err on the, co- uh, on the side of safety. But on the other hand, how needed was sports? People, people craved, just they wanted something to watch, to see, to, to, to unite them, just to get out of the house and to have something to cheer for, just to get out of their shell. I'm going to wake up at two in the morning and watch South Korean baseball. Right, right? and they were. Marble was, racing. Because like, it was something. Yep. It was something. And yeah, so sports, and I think one of my, I think one of my strengths has always been to, um, to be able to know why things are important and, and be able hopefully to share that. Um, and again, I, you know, I, I go back to that part I told you about. I didn't get on T. I didn't. I didn't get on TV to be on TV, and I never thought I looked good. I never thought I sounded good on the air. But the one thing I thought I always had going for me was that I care about what I do and I enjoy what I do, and I hope that comes across. That's awesome. And I, the best compliment I ever get from people: people run into me and say, "Hey." First of all, they say, you seem the same on TV that you do in real life. And I'm like, I'm too stupid to be. I'm like, what am I going to, who am I going to be differently? But the other thing is that they say, it looks like you're having fun. Mm. And I'm like, are you kidding me? They are paying me to do something that I would have done for free anyway. Wow. So that's, I, yeah, I've, I've, I've had a great, I've had a great life. Great. So a few more years looking at retirement. Yeah. I I need to, I need to research and find out how long Paul James and Bill Marcroft I think I passed them. I think I, I think I may have passed them not for total years of, of broadcasting because they also, after they retired from TV, they did radio uh, at, 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 at call radio for Marcroft and, and KSL for, for Paul James doing, you know, BYU and Utah games, but just for television, I think I've, I think I've probably been the longest on air person in sports in the market history. Wow. I'm getting, if, if not, I'm getting awfully darn close. Very close. Because Marcroft and, Paul started like in 65 and I think they were done by, you know, 99, mm. 98, 99. So 
um, I think I would have passed him. Gotcha. And you've kind of alluded to this a little bit, but I'm, I'm just going to ask you, what are you the most proud of? When you look back on your career, what are you the most proud of? Survival. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's legit. I mean, there, there was a day, I kid you not. I mean, especially at channel four, it was just a revolving door of anchors, right? I mean, yep. we'd have people and then fire them and bring new people. And, and I remember sitting on the set one day and I looked, this is during commercial. I look at the, the female anchor, the male anchor and the weather guy. We're all just sitting there. And it, I, I, it dawns on me that I have been at the station longer in years than the three of them have been there in months put together. Wow. Put together. It's crazy. Years over months. And so I've survived and I, I, nothing, I don't, don't get me wrong. Don't think that I think I'm anything great that, you know, that, oh, they're never going to get rid of me. They would, I, I came close to losing my job a bunch of times. <laughs> News directors hated my guts and they were going to get rid of me. And, and then fortunately they got fired before I got fired. <laughs> um, but I just, I, so I don't think sports was ever perceived as the problem at channel four. So they just kind of, you know, I just kind of skated for a long time and. Yeah, that's, that's legit. Um, I, the golf stuff, proud of that. Cool. Really proud of, um, you know, I was, I was named honorary. I was the only, I've been the only person that the Utah section PGA has named an honorary member mm. that happened last year. That's right. Um, all right. It's what, 19, 20, early 20, 2020, uh, down at St. George at the, at the winter meetings. And they made me an honorary member of the Utah section PGA. Could not be more proud of that. Mm. Um, the, the three, um, Bill Howard award golf citizen of the year awards that I've won and the, and the five sports cast of the year awards. Proud of those. That's awesome. So that's great. What is one simple thing you would recommend to the listener that they can take and apply into their daily lives just based on your experience, your life your career, the, the beauty of sports, I think is just the lessons you can learn. Right. I mean, I just, I love, I love that about sports, just the lessons of overcoming adversity, overcoming challenges and making yourself better, becoming a better athlete, becoming a better um, player, becoming a better person. And some of the, you know, some the best stories are guys that have, have over, had to overcome. Michael Jordan gets cut from his junior high basketball. Yeah, I mean, what is that coach thinking now? It's like, what the crap? I cut <laughs> Michael Jordan. Um, but, and, you know, he could have quit, yep. but he just, but he just worked harder and harder and harder. And, and I did the same thing when, when I played basketball in high school, I was the shortest guy. I was always the worst guy on the team. And, but I just kept thinking I can do that. I just go out and practice on my driveway and chip ice off my driveway and shoot free throws when I was a little kid in the middle of winter. And I would think, okay, game on the line, Wesley Ruff on the free throw line, ah, Springville high school. And then it happened at Uinta. I'm on the free throw line with shooting a one and one, which means I had to make the first one to get the second one. We're down by two, three seconds to go. I'm on the free throw line at Uinta. The band is playing different songs. <laughs> every, every instrument's playing something different. The crowd's screaming, yeah, you suck, Springville. And the referee hands me the basketball. And the, the only thing I think of, it, the only thing I can think of is, this is what I practiced for. This is what I dreamed of doing when I was a kid. And I would love to tell you that I made those free throws. <laughs> and you weren't there. <laughs> so I will. <laughs> no, I did. I knocked him down. And, we, awesome. and I stole the ball on the opening tip in overtime. And we ended up winning. Wow. And just it's stuff like that, just those kind of stories. And I love finding stories. Like, like I just did a story last week on a gymnast from, the, from BYU who on the floor routine, the floor routine in gymnastics is made up of, of dance moves and tumbling passes. And her dance moves are, she took it from Napoleon Dynamite, the movie, the dance. That's good. And she, and, and she, and she milks this thing like she, she, 
expressionless, just like Napoleon. And she said, I tried to do it as awkwardly as possible. And the judges are like, what the heck is this? But it's so cool. And, and I did that story and I split screened it with him doing the dance and her doing the dance. Wow. And I love doing stories like that. That's it's, awesome. Those are the best. That's those awesome. Are, yeah, that's fun to do that. It makes me like BYU a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> and she was great. She had great personality. But yeah, so the lessons just are the thing I tell people, just keep keep going. Just keep trying. Keep don't let And, and don't let people tell you to... Not that there's anything wrong with Jiffy Lube, but don't don't let people tell you to go work at Jiffy Lube. If you have a dream, follow your dream. Follow it. I did, and I made it. That's awesome. So if I can, I'm pretty sure people with more talent than me can. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I think that's a great piece of advice. This has been a great conversation. This has been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed it. Where would you like people go to go to find you? Well, they can tune into Channel 4, <laughs> ABC4. If we get listeners, you can get ratings. This is That's, why we brought you on. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, because we need them. Um, ABC4.com, check us out. Or our we have a podcast, Dana Green and myself, WD Sporty. It's a great w, podcast. Dana's I really like it. Thank you. Yeah, Dana's great to work with. He's one of my favorite people and just a hardworking guy. And it, it, I think we get along well together. It's been great. You guys have really good chemistry. I told this to um, Pace Mannion, him and Thurl were just masters at having that yeah. kind of chemistry. Yeah. And the two of them played it's, off each other and yeah, called each other out. And I've been lucky because I've worked with a lot of good people and, and gotten along well with them over the years. And Dana's right at the top there. That's great. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Wesley Ruff. Thanks. Thank Casey. you so much for doing this. We really appreciate My you. My pleasure. And so many great lessons and, and things to learn. And yeah, it's just been really great Thank to have you, you on. You're a good interviewer, by the way. Nice job. <laughs> Thanks, Bethany. <Thank> you. <laughs> <laughs> and this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio.